Hey Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or you know however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm your host, Josh Maltby, at BlackCloakDM on Twitter. And I'm the other host, Brandon Dingus, at Way of Brandalore on Twitter, Instagram, and probably Discord, depending on what server you're in. <laughs> Josh, how are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty well, pretty well. Uh, I have a lot of sleep debt that I need to make up to myself that I will not be doing tonight because I'll be at work mm -hmm. at 8.30 tomorrow morning. Yeah, personally, I'm waiting for Biden to forgive my sleep debt. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's no way I'm going to be able to pay it back. <laughs> oh, if only, if only that were possible. <laughs> yeah, we're coming to you all uh, at another late night. We got on this call about an hour and a half ago and did a lot of strategy stuff, and now it's 9 o'clock that we're recording this. I've had a late-night cup of coffee. This is just the way our lives are now. Uh, you know, I'm surprised we got started this early, all things considered. I mean, I think part of that is that the topic we have for tonight is one that we were both like, let's, let's make sure that we've got all our ducks in a row before we really dive on in there. I would say we've got most of our ducks in a row. Perhaps not all of them. But uh, we've kind of decided that uh, this episode is going to be a nice little uh, news roundup. It's actually been probably a month since the last time we recorded because uh, the two previous episodes, the um, G. Edward Patterson interviews, we recorded those all in one go to try to buy ourselves a little bit of time to relax. Uh, and a handful of things that ha has happened since then. And, uh, you know, I'm sure some people are like, oh, yeah, why are you talking about this? This is weeks late. But not everybody's as plugged into stuff, uh, including me, really, for the last month. So... A lot of people will probably find some new information here. Others uh, just might enjoy listening to us talk about things they're already familiar with and perhaps share opinions with, with you on. Well, and some of this information will be new as of the week previous to recording. So true. We do have we do have some fresh news. It's not all fresh news, but we do have some fresh news. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's fine. And not yeah, and I keep reminding myself not everybody's as plugged into this stuff. So if you know. You're not looking at the ins and outs of the day to day of Wizards of the Coast. Uh, a lot of this is probably fresh to you, but um, you got a handful of things to get rolling on. Uh, Josh, do you have anything up at the top that we need to touch base on before we get into like our content warning and stuff? Uh, nothing, nothing I can think of just, you know, as, as we talk about some rather heavy and serious stuff, know that, uh, know that we love all of you. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, people are probably aware at least in some tertiary way about, uh, the wizard's lawsuit with, uh, new TSR and it's a lot of racially focused stuff. And we're going to be reading some stuff from the actual injunction filing. Uh, so just, you know, be aware be aware. We're not going to go too deep into it, but I, I do think it's important to read verbatim some of this stuff that they're talking about, because uh, it, it, it's important. 
Yeah, we'll we'll give another warning when we're about to jump into that content itself so that you can start skipping forward and not stop until you hear us laughing again. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean, I'll be I'll be laughing uh shrieks of anger uh as I'm as we're reading that, but uh just cuz I I just can't I just can't believe those idiots. But we'll it's get to that. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um so the first th- first thing is uh there's a new head of Dungeons and Dragons now which uh, they just announced actually like yesterday, I think that we're recording this. I didn't get yep. a fo- I didn't get a phone alert on it until this afternoon. But uh, yeah, there's a new senior vice president for uh, Hasbro and he's the SVP for the Dungeons and Dragons brand overall. His name's Dan Rawson. And, uh, you know, we creeped his LinkedIn because that's the kind of thing you do these days. Uh, and it was funny. Uh, we, we were reading the press release just talking about uh, oh, you know, you know, he, this is like a lifelong dream for me to be here and everything like that. And the first couple of paragraphs of the press release, it talks about how his most recent position was at Microsoft. Like they hired him away from Microsoft. He was the chief operating officer for Dynamics 365. So he was basically handling all the 365 suite stuff. And uh, I, I immediately thought, oh, they're hiring him because of the D&D Beyond acquisition and the and the transition over into one D and D. And then sure enough, we get to like a paragraph in that. And it says, Oh, this'll, you know, him being here will really be a boon to our digital operations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, the, um, president of wizards of the coast, uh, her name's Cynthia. Gosh, I feel Williams. Yeah. Cynthia Williams. Um, she, up until earlier this year, also worked for Microsoft and they worked together. So she clearly recruited him from there to take over this aspect of the operation. Uh, you know, I think a couple of things about this. Number one, it shows just how committed they are to the digital future of Dungeons and Dragons. I've seen a lot of this to, to less success during my time in the newspaper industry. Um, you know, really sort of owning it by putting somebody in charge of that who has that kind of digital expertise. Um, it'll probably work here. But I, I think it's interesting. It shows a level of commitment on their part to to really making the digital version of D&D D&D. Like one D&D is going like one D&D online is going to be D&D. There's still going to be the books, but it's I see that, you know, I'm seeing the same thing from news industry evolution just faster like they'll still be the books but we're now going to be a legacy product uh, the people who consume the books the primary product from wizards of the coast for dungeons and dragons is going to be the online software as a service situation essentially i still kind of disagree with that because i think the books sell well enough that they're unlikely to give up a lot of market share there i think what we're going to see is that the online, you know, subscribe, subscribe, have the service. I think that's going to be a lot more of their test bed for how these things go. And then after they've got a couple of months of it live, then they'll publish books. I don't think it's going to be a super huge gap, but I suspect the online folks will see it a lit content just a little bit earlier, but also a little bit less refined. That's, that's my personal opinion. I think we're talking about the same thing, but we're looking at it a little bit differently. I'm not talking about the books as a legacy product to the exclusion of the digital product. Like the books are still very much going to be a focus for them because they have to maintain relationships with their brick and mortar partners. 
Um, they're not about to abandon that. And it is a huge revenue stream for them. And there's old people like me who prefer the books instead of doing it all digitally. I've tried so many different solutions for moving my media to digital, like my book media, and I just don't like it. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. I just don't like it. I would rather have a book in my hand. So they're still very much catering to customers like me by doing that. But uh, I think they're looking at it long term. And I think as we go another 10, 15, 20 years down the road, this strategy is really going to play itself out as we see the slow phasing out of the physical D&D release schedule for books. Um, you know, we're, what we're seeing like six next year that they've that they've announced that we did that episode on. Uh, listen back about a month or so ago for that. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, maybe in 10 years they're releasing, you know, four you know, 15 years, they're releasing three, something like that. I, I think tastes are ultimate tastes and habits are going to change over the next two decades that are going to obsolesce the books. Um, and it's easy to say it's not going to happen, but this is also what people were saying 30 years ago uh, for the newspaper industry and really the publishing industry too, when the internet and digital became such a thing. Um, there's very much a sort of sensual object aspect for having these books, having physical dice, things like that. Playing at the table is probably never going to go away, but as we see increasing ubiquity with, um, I, I say increasing ubiquity, tablets are just freaking everywhere. Tablets, phones, everything. Like, they're already ubiquitous. But as people, like, in like in 20 years when people like me are get, entering their 60s, um, it's going to be so much different. There's going to be, I think there's going to be so many fewer people who are playing games with like physical book media. They'll still have dice probably, but I think character sheets, book source books, and all that stuff. It's not even going to be source books. It's going to be essentially source wikis, um, which, which is where we're seeing things going anyway with the digital books on D and D beyond. Like that's, that's all it's all going to be. I'm really going down a rabbit hole on this and getting a little bit off topic, but all that to say, that's where I see the product going. And I think hiring, um, Dan Rawson is a clear indication that that's also where they see the ultimate future of the product. And like I said, I'm thinking long-term on that. I don't think you're wrong about anything you said. Uh, I think definitely short to midterm, that's exactly how it's going to go. But, uh, you know, we wouldn't be podcasters if we weren't recklessly speculating on the future of something with which we're not intimately involved. So I, I, I think definitely they are targeting this as the first salvo in a, a much larger digital shift. Yeah, I will say I don't want to be the guy who says, oh, we'll never move away from CDs mm -hmm. because, you know, we, eight, we all eight saw tracks, my brother, happened. eight tracks. We all saw how that went down when streaming services really started to take off. All of a sudden, CD sales are like, no one ever gets platinum anymore. Gee, mm. I wonder why. And it's like, well, yeah, because the one song everybody really wanted to hear, they don't have to buy the album to hear it over and over and over again. They mm -hmm. just download the one track. <laughs> so I, I don't think, how to put this? I don't think that physical media is ever going to fully go away because I think there's always going to be people who find a special place in their hearts for those special release books. I think there's absolutely the possibility that some of the more experimental stuff they do, some of the modules, some of the individual adventures, some of the like 
characters or creatures or NPCs or whatever it may be, like those individual pieces, I think we'll see more and more of those getting individual releases online before they see any sort of physical print. And then I think whatever's popular will get collected into something like a Fizzband's treasury and then get published Mm -hmm. because they'll be like, oh, here's all the most popular stuff. And here it is for about how much you'd pay for it online, but you get the beautiful physical copy with this custom illustration on the front. About uh, 12, 15 years ago in the newspaper industry, we were talking about that very same strategy and we called it reverse publishing, which is exactly what they're going to be doing. Like they're going to be doing exactly what you said, because it's the it's the next natural step where you iterate online and then you publish the the essentially the top five uh, in a physical book. Yeah. And this is, of course, all assuming that 10, 15, 20 years from now, we don't have a group of kids that are like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm tired of always having stuff on my phone all the time. Don't you always want to, like, get a book open and, like, unfold it in front of you as treating it like the vinyl community? Future, you know what I, mean? I, was, I was about to yell future vinyl hipsters. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to they're gonna peg their future jeans and their, like, auto-lacing Nikes and go into, uh, like, a used bookstore. Hop off their hoverboard to walk on in. Mm-hmm. Why are we talking about all this technology from the past, like hoverboards and auto lacing Nikes? That was so like seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> if only, yeah. if only that was so seven years ago. I remember back in uh, 1990 when Back to the Future 2 came out, all the schoolyard rumors about no hoverboards really exist out in California, but they can't sell them because that kid got hurt and, and he eventually died. Yep. No, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. It all adds up. My yeah. uncle at Nintendo told me. Yeah, I I, I had <laughs> I knew several guys in elementary school who had uncles at Nintendo, which was really that's a weird coincidence in southern West Virginia. <laughs> but talking a little bit maybe more about Dan Ross. Maybe Rawson, it's all the same uncle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I should be offended at that, but I want to keep this rolling. Because <laughs> I think it was an incest joke. No, it wasn't an insect. There was a that guy's uh, brother got around joke is what that was. Oh, OK. All right. Wink to the audience. <laughs> uh, but talking about Dan Rawson some more, um, you know, just beyond what I think his higher presages for the future of the brand. Uh, he does appear to be qualified for it. Uh, you know, looking looking on his LinkedIn uh, he was the general manager and vice president for marketplace and customer experience at Coupang, which is a Korean e-commerce market. He did that for three years. Uh, it looks like he quit and went to Microsoft right as the pandemic was revving up there in March of 2020. Um, so I guess he got back to the United because he was in Seoul. So he got back to the United States just in time, it seems like. Wow. Bef- before that, he was in India as the head of customer logistics and supply chain ecosystems uh, for a company called Flipkart. Before that, he was at Amazon for a few years, general manager, North American fulfillment and senior manager, product management. He has like a ton more experience credits. Like he was at Dell for like three years as uh, mobility solutions and global transformation strategy roles. He was director of land acquisition for something called Hamlet Development about 12 years ago. Uh, So that's interesting. And also he's a uh, captain in the U.S. Marine Corps. So that's interesting. Uh, So... I think if I, any, oh, go ahead. 
I can't help but feel like with all these job titles that you're listing off for all these different companies he's worked for, like the more you say, the more I picture some like middle-aged white guy in a starched white button-up with a black tie and a black blazer jacket. <laughs> like, Well, I'll tell you, he does look like a middle-aged white guy, and that's probably because he's a middle-aged white guy. Um, he looks like a, a relatively affable and cool middle-aged white guy. Uh, but well, if that's I, good. But if I haven't said middle-aged white guy enough, uh, it's because <laughs> it's because uh, I think uh, perhaps uh, at least when he, when Dan Rawson is tired of being SVP of Dungeons and Dragons, maybe it's perhaps time to look at a different type of person for that job. Perhaps a person of color. Perhaps uh, you know somebody who's not a white man. Yeah, I mean credit credit for Cynthia Williams being the president, being at least a woman representing up there. Mm -hmm. But like, it would be nice to see a little more representation in leadership in businesses such as Wizards of the Coast, because, you know, they might make better choices overall. And we'll talk about some of those poor choices a little bit later in this episode. But suffice it to say, I'm not throwing shade on Dan Rawson. It looks like he's super qualified. Like he's, you know, if it means anything to you, he's a Harvard graduate. He he clearly has credentials and experience to back up being able to do this. So he's probably going to do a great job. I'm just thinking with some of the bad decisions Wizards has made content wise over the last couple of years, it's something to think about, about being a little bit more representational in your leadership structures. Oh, for sure. For absolute sure. Yeah, because every time I watch those videos about a new D&D book coming out and they do the promotional videos interviewing the authors or Jeremy Chaplin and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of a lot of middle aged white men. So, yep. Yep. So there there we go. There we go. This is a game for everybody. <laughs> it is a game for everybody. It should look like everybody. Agreed. Fully at, agreed. At all levels. It's um, a game for everybody. It should be made by everybody. Correct. Um, do you have anything else on this item? Uh, no, I think I think we covered everything pretty well. Uh, I'm hopeful for the future. I think the online focus will be an interesting thing to keep tabs on. Hopefully it doesn't cut into physical sales too much. I say as someone who is engaged to a comic book store owner. Mm -hmm. Worst decision ever, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> um... Item number two on the docket tonight uh, is a little bit lighter, and it's also something I don't particularly care that much about, but some people may find it interesting. Um, Josh, you know that Dungeons and Dragons movie that they're making? Yeah. The one with Chris Pine in it? Yeah. So it's getting two prequel novels um, that are going to come out before the movie. Um, and to me, that almost straddles the line of whether or not they're a prequel. Because they're coming out before the movie. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, if episodes one, two, and three had come out before episodes four, five, and six, they wouldn't be called the prequel trilogy. They would be called the first trilogy. I think there's a little bit of room for discussion here because I suspect the movie was written like what the plot was going to be, probably mm -hmm. a lot of what the script was going to be and all the character names before these books were even started on. I mean, you're probably right about that, but also I think it's bold 
to release these before the movie, like have two of these that are probably also already written completely now and will be coming out before the movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess they could have just as easily called them tie-in books. Right. And been a little bit more... There's less room for argument there, but maybe that's the whole idea, Brandon. Maybe this is yeah. part of their marketing scheme is to get us arguing about whether or not they're actually prequels so that we talk about them more. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, these are, <laughs> these are I mean, it's working. I'm very gullible. Um, so they're called uh, The Druid's Call. And then the other one is The Road to Neverwinter. And they're going to come out in February of 2023. Uh, and then the D&D movie, colon, Honor Among Thieves, is going to release on March 3rd. So it looks like we'll have maybe like four, three to four weeks between when these come out and the movie comes out, which is actually kind of not a lot of time for busy people to sit down and read two, two uh, like fantasy novels. Um, if you got a lot going on, because these are probably going to be, you know, around 300 pages or something like that, you'd have to kill kill a weekend day or a couple of evenings on something like that. Um, I don't read as fast as I used to. Uh, I would have I would have released one of them at Christmas and one of them at the end of January. But that's me. I mean, uh, fair. I will say uh, they might not actually be that long because based on the cover image I'm looking at right now, which is a lovely cover cover image, by the way, uh, these very likely could be like pocket novel kind of books where it's nothing super thick. It's only like 180 to 220 pages, um, you know, decent, decent sized pages, but not like super small font on them. So, yeah. you know, I I could see very easily these being reasonable reads that are fairly quick to get through, not least of which because they're movie tie in books and those are tough to write and they're even tougher to sell. I know, And I mean, yeah, and I know like. As far as the density of the language here, it's not going to be Stanislav Lem or anything like that. This isn't going to be D&D Solaris. Uh, <laughs> so it should be pretty easy. But um, I don't know. That just feel, that just feels weird to me. Like you could release two, you could release them consecutively rather than simultaneously. And that could like draw out the marketing line a little bit, especially given the bad mouth taste reputation of D&D at the movies that we've had for the last uh 20 years. Apologies to both Jeremy Irons and Marlon Wayans. Because <laughs> I saw that movie in the theater. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it in the theater with a woman I really liked in college. Uh, and we were just really bummed by it. <laughs> um, so this... I have I have not really paid too much attention to Honor Among Thieves, to be honest. I've seen, like, the teaser trailer that they released. I don't know if they've even released a full trailer for it yet. It feels like we're maybe like right on the cusp of that being a thing. Usually you start seeing those five to six months early. Like, yeah, you know. I guess we've had, we've had a teaser trailer. We haven't had like a plot trailer. I think we've had two teaser trailers. Mm -hmm. I have, I have my suspicions on what the plot's going to look like. Um, and we can speculate on that in a minute, but, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Druid's Call, and I'm reading from the Gizmodo article now. I don't know which one you had up on the screen there. Uh, Druid's Call, as the name implies, will follow Sophia Lilly's character from the film, Doric, a tiefling druid we saw in a trailer, mostly delighting us by wild shifting into an owlbear. Uh, and then, let's see, what does it say about... 
Uh, less is known about the road to Neverwinter at the minute, but as the name implies, we'll likely be paying a visit to the infamous Jewel of the North, one of Faerun's most powerful and cosmopolitan city-states. So that tells me, well, I mean, we already knew that Honor Among Thieves is going to be very Sword Coast-focused, and any curmudgeonly D&D guy is going to be like, why can't we look at any other part of the world? <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, Druid's Call is probably going to be very, very much focused on Sword Coast, and then Neverwinter will be... The road to Neverwinter, I think, sort of explains what it's going to be. They're going to go to Neverwinter and do something. Uh, and it'll pro- and it, I'm sure it'll all have them meet it. The last scene of each book, of both books, will have them meeting in a place where the movie will pick up. And they will be brought... They will be a ragtag group brought together summoned by a mysterious person to pull a job and they go to pull the job and then one of them betrays the team and it's not going to be Chris Pine or it will be Chris Pine and then he'll have a crisis of conscience and he will he will double flip and betray his betrayer because he's made real a real connection with these people because it's going to be like uh, Fast and the Furious and now these people are like family to him and uh, then the movie will end with them getting away with something. And then there'll be a post credit sequence where somebody, maybe, I don't know, a lich or something like that, Vecna or something, uh, is really mad because maybe it turns out what they had to steal was a phylactery or something like that. And uh, he wants it back. And then we have D&D 2, honor, honor among thieves, but like the T in thieves is a two. So... <laughs> Honor among to heaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say based on the teaser trailer, I don't know that you're real far off. There's a little bit there that's different. Like the whole thing is that they've already done a job and then found out the job they did was for the bad guys. So they're trying to undo the job they did. And that's where it's theoretically, that's where the honor among thieves title comes from. Mm-hmm. But you may very well be right that it's one of those like double meaning titles where it's like, ah, but the real honor among thieves is, is the, the friends, friends we made, we made the, along the, the friends way. we stole along the way. <laughs> yeah, I admit I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that trailer when I watched it, but I, I just I have a sneaking suspicion that the film is going to be extremely formulaic in that way. And that doesn't mean it's bad because I'm a huge fan of MCU films and they are all unapologetically formulaic and I don't care because I like watching Iron Man on a big screen. Based on the teaser trailer, I think we can expect a lot of MCU style like gosh, isn't this a zany adventure we're on kind of dialogue because mm-hmm. that's par for the course right now in Hollywood. Tony Stark ruined it for everyone. Kind of. There, there I mean, cannot like, be a serious tense moment in a in a film because of because of Robert Downey <laughs> Jr. I mean, like, Robert Downey Jr. crushed that role by being as Robert and Downey and Jr. as he possibly could be at that time. And, like, I loved the film. I'm a little upset that every movie now needs to have dialogue like that. Well, you find a formula and you exploit it until it stops working. Well, I'm getting close. (laughs) I'm getting close to it stopping working for me. And I'm a man of great patience and a broad appreciation for cinema. You can just go back and watch some old films. <laughs> yeah, Dad. These <laughs> films are for the youths. Like Escape from New York. 
Oh, hell yeah. I would absolutely watch some Escape from New York. And it's a less quality sequel, Escape from L.A., which I it, saw which I saw at the at a movie theater in Myrtle Beach. Oh hell yeah. You know what? You know what had good dialogue and snappy comebacks back in my day? What's that? Was they live. That <laughs> was a movie with put hair on your chest. With Rowdy Roddy Piper, who has his hell own yeah. racial controversies. Well, we won't get into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um he's here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, but he's all out of gum. Yep. Um, yep. anything, anything more on this movie? Do you want to speculate about this movie, Annie? Um, I mean, I feel like we're going to get a real trailer soon and it's going to immediately burn everything that you and I have said about it. If I was to do a little bit of wild speculation, I think, uh, I think we're going to find out that the, the wild shaping into an owl bear thing mm-hmm. will turn out to be something that Wizards is actually introducing as mm-hmm. a character feature in a new module or something like that in 2023. I don't know what that looks like, but I suspect that's part of it. I think we're all going to be surprised because we're going to find out that it's not actually uh, wild shifting or wild shaping or anything. It's uh, they're they're rolling out a brand new uh, like class or race, and it's going to be anamorphs. Oh, God. Oh, you want to talk about things that are unexpectedly dark? Animorphs, it's here for you. Yeah, yeah. If you stay in your wild form for too long, you get stuck and there's nothing to be done. Somebody has to cast Polymorph on you. Not just that. That entire book series is all about, like, war crimes. Yeah. Like, it is an intensely dark series. I know. The, The Nickelodeon show did not do justice to the darkness of the book series. I'm so surprised. I, surprised? I was going to say you're either drunk or Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Neither. I was going to say shocked and then I wanted to say surprised, but I'd already started saying shish. <laughs> so here we are. It is late. It is late. 20 to uh, 10. Let's <laughs> let's get into the let's get into the next thing we're going to talk about. The yeah. next thing yeah, this is re-content warning. Um <laughs> This is this is where we'll probably talk about a lot of racism related stuff and people saying dumb hurtful things. Yeah, and to be clear, we are on the side of these are dumb and hurtful things that these people are saying and we would also like them to stop it. Yeah. Yeah, so the bottom line for this for anybody who might be sort of uninitiated to this is you know, in the beginning there was TSR, Gary Gygax, Dave Arneson. Um, and it was, you know, great. It was 1974. Things rolled on until like 1997. And then Wizards of the Coast bought TSR. Wizards of the Coast uh, still used the TSR logo on a lot of stuff. If you go to DriveThruRPG and do it, like look at any of their print-on-demand stuff from, from that era, from like, you know, pre-1997, it's going to have the TSR logo on it. They still use it. So what's happened is, and this is a long and complicated story, so just boiling it down, is Gygax's, Gary Gygax's, one of his sons, Ernie Gygax, has started a new company uh, called, you know, TSR, and a lot colloquially people are referring to it as new TSR. Um, Ernie Gygax uh, has said terrible things. He, uh, I'm not going to slander him. Uh, by calling him a terrible person or anything like that, but you can look up 
stuff he said and opinions he holds and things like that. Josh and I do not agree. I, I pardon me for being presumptive, Josh, for speaking for you there. But uh, <laughs> I I think you can pretty definitively say that I do not agree with basically anything that Ernie Gygax has said in an interview about how Wizards of the Coast is running things. Uh, the existence of trans people, you know, any basically just blanket statement. If Ernie Gygax has said it and I have not expressly agreed with it, odds are good I disagree with it. And the TLDR on um, Ernie Gygax and his ilk is they are basically the uh, old stereotype of uh, tabletop role playing game players. Uh, just like, uh, you know, this is for us. This isn't for you. Um, very insular about it, not welcoming or anything like that. They, you know, it's clickishness to just sort of the nth degree. They um, really don't agree with the way that the hobby has gone in the last few years, which is to become more open and welcoming to um, all kinds of different folks. At least that's what a lot of us, you know, are trying to do. It's becoming, they're mad because this thing that they like is becoming somebody else's thing. So, they founded this new TSR in sort of a response to that, saying, you know, saying things like, you know, we're bringing gaming back to what it should be and getting mad about wizards being quote unquote woke and things like that. Just the usual bullshit that you see from people who are just mad about the world changing because they don't like it and they choose not to try to understand it. It's not that they don't understand it. They're making a conscious choice not to educate themselves and understand it and have empathy for people. So don't ever let somebody use the excuse of, well, I don't understand it and that's why I don't like it. If you don't understand it, make an effort to understand it and then you can talk to me about it. But I, I just, I, I don't tolerate that kind of bullshit. But anyways, anyways. So uh, they start this company uh, and they're like, hey, we're going to release Star Frontiers, which was an old 1982 sort of like Starfinder-esque uh, setting uh, from TSR. Uh, but Wizards actually owns that and uh, they have been like publishing it through DriveThru, made it available for like print-on-demand stuff through DriveThru RPG for a long time. Um, and the... Uh, like a lot of the marketing language for this new Star Frontiers is like, oh, it's, you know, it's reviving the classic game. And Wizards is like, yeah, but like the classic game you're referring to is a thing that we own that we bought in 1997. So uh, it's owned and licensed by Wizards of the Coast. Um, now there's, and we'll read some stuff from the injunction filing that Wizards did, but there's uh, an argument that Wizards didn't, actively renew their trademark on like TSR or Star Frontiers or whatever, but they're still publishing stuff through with those names, with those logos. Um, because like the way, uh, you know, uh, obligatory, I am not a lawyer. Um, Noah can call in and correct me <laughs> if he wants to at some point. <laughs> but um, even if your even if your trademark expires, as long as you're still using it, you essentially have the leg up in any kind of uh, like filing or anything like that. And also, since TSR is like a stylized logo and it doesn't mean anything like intrinsically by itself, um, like that logo is still protected. Um, again, I am not a lawyer. Uh, 
do not look to me for any kind of advice if you're experiencing some sort of trademark issue. I happen to know a good lawyer and I'm happy to put him in touch with you. Contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com and I can give you some contact info for that person. But anyway, so Wizards filed an injunction to stop New TSR from publishing this. And uh, there's a history. And before we started recording this, Josh was reading through the, the New TSR timeline uh, to just illustrate what jokers these guys are, because they keep running into these issues all the time and they're doing all kinds of like comical clown shoes bullshit uh, that no respectable business is probably going to do. I don't know if you still have that up and if you want to just go through a couple of bullet points on it, Josh. I mean, there's things like, oh, God, uh, TSR Con takes place at the same time as Gary Con. TSR claims, lol, actually, we asked just about every one of the 800 people stopping by TSR Con, and about 60% had no idea Gary Con was going on, and we tried pushing them over to go attend. And that's March 26th, 2022. Like, it's honestly, like, so much of what they are saying is occurring that also is impossible to verify because no one is coming out and being like, oh, yeah, I, I'm one of these people that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So much of it ends up reading like things Donald Trump claims. Like it just where it's just really, really blatant lies. Ernie, Ernie guy guys coming out there saying like, I don't know. That's what I'm hearing. A lot of people are saying this. <laughs> right. Like. Oh my god, it's it's not great. It's not great. And it's all like it's all stuff where they're like we clearly have a right to these things even though cuz Wizards has just been letting these properties languish and Wizards is like no we haven't. We've been yeah. selling all of those yeah. on our online store. Like, what are we're you not, talking we're about? We're not actively developing new stuff for it, but we still have the license if you want to buy the old stuff, which we're making available to you in a format if you want it. Well, also, a lot of Star Frontier's content got mixed up and created Spelljammer content. Mm -hmm. And so, like, yeah, they are actually producing new stuff with some of that content. Like, uh... Now... Before we get too deep into this, there is something I, I, I want to mention. There's actually two things I want to mention. First is um, Wizards can't actually uh, like confirm that TSR was distributing Star Frontiers New Genesis, which is the name of the rebooted Star Frontiers. Um, they're saying that the, the website listed Star Frontiers, quote, reboot um, using the trademarks, but it was listed as out of stock. So it was like listed for sale, but it was listed out of stock. So they can't show evidence that it was actually being distributed, but I think they're just basing their claim on the intent. And also some playtest releases had gotten out that were, it sounds like gifted rather than sold. And of course, the 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 second part of this that we haven't really gotten into, but you know, you can probably guess since uh, we've talked about what kind of people these guys are and that we did a content warning on this it's there's just some like wild offensive stuff in this uh new star frontiers thing uh racist stuff anti-trans stuff it's just it's beyond the pale because honestly before i read this um i had not read the actual excerpts 
until just before we started recording this, but I was just sort of generally aware that it was problematic content and I didn't feel like I had to investigate it too much because it's known actors who are doing this and I sort of know what they're all about, so I could probably guess it, but it still surprised me. Um, I'm going to read, if you don't mind, Josh, I'm going to read for just a minute from the uh, uh, injunction filing on on page nine. Um, Gaming publications began covering a, quote, playtest release of Star Frontier's new Genesis, essentially a preview copy that counterclaim defendants, that's wizards, distributed to, uh, or no, not counterclaim defendants, counterclaim defendants are um, TSR, that counterclaim defendants distributed to players who are interested in trying the game. Um, The game utilized marks containing, and the marks that they're referring to is TSR and um, Star Frontiers, those trademarks, and contained alarming content stating, for example, that, quote, races in Star Frontiers New Genesis are not unlike races in the real world. Some are better at certain things than others, and some races are superior to others, end quote. Now, that in and of itself is a tremendous problem, but I shall go on, and I remind you again, content warning, and I am reading directly from the legal filing. Um, A, quote, Negro race is described as a, quote, sub-race in the game and as having, quote, average intelligence with maximum intelligence rating of nine, while the, quote, Norse race has a minimum intelligence rating of 13. And then there's an actual screen grab from the book, and it says, uh, like, the like, I am just honest to God shocked that it's 2022 and I'm I'm about to say this, but it says the bullet point, it, it's describing the the race that it's talking about. And it says bullet point Negro, uh, parenthesis, subrace, Ulfar, parenthesis, humanoid class, tall, thick bodied, dark skinned, even purple, dark brown eyed race with uh, large strength, average intelligence. All attributes are in the 10 plus range, except intelligence, which is a maximum of plus nine. And then right under that, you have bullet point Nordic, bullet point Ulfar, or no, parenthesis Ulfar, parenthesis humanoid class. Now keep that in mind because for the one above, it said a subrace of Ulfar, and then this is Ulfar. So it's essentially saying black people are a subhuman race uh, by their comparison. And these folks are described as tall, blonde, blue eyed race with exceptional attributes and powers, all attributes in the 13 plus range. Now, I mean, come on, come on. Like, what the hell is that? That's ridiculous. It's stuff like that that makes you start to wonder what kind of person would write this garbage? Because it's pretty heinous. What kind of person would would publish this garbage? It's one thing to write it. It's another thing for somebody to be like, I'm going to pay money for other people to get this, to, to make it available for people. Uh, And then under that, it says the game also describes, quote, latent issues with certain races like, quote, blacks having issues with sickle cell anemia with anemia misspelled, by the way, and with family issues, end quote. What? What? And then it's another it's another um, uh, image capture from the the actual book and it says think about your race carefully as some races are more superior in power etc some races have latent issues similar to blacks having issues with sickle cell anemia and with family issues remember racism is bad don't do racial things like racism have fun with it but remember some races are just sometimes superior in some ways now there's a lot to unpack there it's very serious it's very awful but Part of me does actually want to get a poster that says, don't do racial things like racism. I just, 
I just want this person to stop. Just stop. Like, what the hell is this? I'm just, I'm just kind of a gog at the whole thing. Like, they wrote all this. It's almost like they wrote all this stuff. And then they're like, oh, man, this could probably be read really poorly. I know. Let's put in a sentence d- disclaiming racism. Remember, racism is bad. Don't do. Well, actually, it says, remember, it, I'm looking at it closer now. It says, remember, racism <laughs> is bad. Do don't do racial things like racism. <laughs> but like, I, I, I don't know if they felt like they could just plug that in and it was going to make it OK. I mean, I'm probably giving them way too much credit for having any kind of like DEI or sensitivity outlook on this whole thing. Uh, then after that, it says the game also refers to the Black Lives Matter movement as, quote, radical. Uh, I don't have uh, an image capture for that, uh, but I don't doubt it. I mean, I'm not trying to sit here like a rumor monger or something like that, but I have to imagine that that's actually there if this other stuff is there. I I have a hard time imagining what the context to include Black Lives Matter in a space RPG is. Uh, uh, maybe it was an illusion. Maybe it was an allegory, something like that. But if uh, I, I don't, there's so much about this. I don't understand. I, I really don't. I can I can help you understand some of that. I'm not going to name the individual because he doesn't deserve the uh, the publicity, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this person who has written so much of this particular iteration of Star Frontiers uh, has been linked to a lot of neo-Nazi sympathizing, a lot of uh, I mean he <laughs> he has he has a history with uh, hateful imagery and messages. He's been doing a lot of Twitter posting. He got himself completely removed from drive through RPG. <sighs> and he, he deserves ahead. all the bad things that happened to him. But, uh, friends, wait, there's more. Um, reading again from the injunction filing... Uh, Star Frontier's new Genesis also contains offensive transphobic material, colon. It includes specific gender option for the characters, quote, male slash female, no bonuses and no trans. Uh, And then it's got uh, a screen grab uh, from it. Star Frontier's new Genesis core rules, gender, male, female, no bonuses and no trans. The playtest included a comment. Should we make a trans type race? Maybe trans bots. What? What? This is just, this is insane. This is every stereotype about people who play D&D just made manifest. I, it's, it's so over the top stereotypical about how like your, your, your basement dwelling nerd, your archetypal basement dwelling, you know, D&D nerd behaves that I have a real hard time like processing the fact that this is number one, this is real. Number two, people put it to paper. Number three, they published it. And number four, they, this, this is where I get hung up because I wonder, did they not expect to get this kind of pushback or did they want this kind of pushback to advertise for the kind of player they're trying to get? I honestly think that this is them clearly stating hateful nonsense 
because they think it's a way for them to grow their brand name. Mm-hmm. Because all publicity is good publicity, baby. Yeah, I just, I just, I, I don't, I don't tolerate this kind of stuff. Like it's, it's really hard for me to articulate this without going off on just sort of an expletive laden rant, which I'm not going to do. But like, how do you sleep at night? Yeah, like let's say, let's say that's what they're doing. Let's say that's what their strategy is, and you know, we don't know if it is, but. Let's say that's your strategy. Like, how do you sleep with yourself at night knowing that you're trying to build your brand on the back of just this sort of uh, anonymous hate for other people? And maybe and maybe like in some of the racial stuff they were talking about, maybe they're maybe they're justifying it to themselves as like, well, you know, we're not talking about hate. We're just talking about like objective differences. But, you know, they blinded themselves to to everything. Um, those people who make those sorts of justifications, uh, quite frankly, can shove a sock in it because it's it is hate and they're just not willing to accept that they are a hateful person. Yeah. And, you know, so Wizards crux on this is like, hey, this thing is uh, number one there. You know, well, number one, it's full of like hateful, awful stuff that we're trying to disabuse ourselves of and we don't. We don't want reasonable people to conclude that this is something that we're doing. Number two, we own the properties that they're trying to do this with. And uh, we're not like we do not allow you to do this. You're going to cause harm to our brand on this. Um, And, you know, fortunately, Wizards, you know, is part of Hasbro. So it's part of a billion dollar corporation so they can afford to go to bat for this. Like didn't. um didn't new TSR try and sue wizards like at the end of last year in December or something like that. And they had to, yes. And they like had to withdraw the lawsuit cause they didn't have enough money for it. <laughs> uh, they also tried to get a, I think it was a GoFundMe to help them fund their lawsuit. And they just, you know, it's weird. They couldn't get that much support for their GoFundMe. Go figure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they can go something else F word themselves. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned. Uh, But Wizard, you know, Wizard's argument, which is it's it's fair. It's like we're trying really hard to get past our own problems with this kind of stuff. And we don't need you getting in here stirring the pot like because we're we're actively trying to not let this stuff happen anymore. Um uh, do you have Which, any? Go ahead. Good on them for making that sort of stance and that sort of statement and using their significant legal backing to put some teeth to that statement. Mm-hmm. Because it's not enough to send a letter that says, hey, you're not being very nice and yeah. we don't appreciate that. Like, you have to take people like this to court or else they're like, well, you know, like, that's just how I feel. Yeah. That's. That's some nice outmoded social views you got there. Shame if something happened to him. <laughs> you know, and you know, people can believe whatever the hell they want. You know, that's I, I was talking to somebody today, um, just sort of describing my feeling. It, it, it was a work related conversation, but I was describing some processes and stuff at work. And I was like, yeah, like there's a small, tiny libertarian part of me that's like, you know, people should be able to, you know, say whatever they want to say. And it's up to the consumer 
to uh, let them know whether or not that's going to be a well-received thing. And then I was like, but the other 99% of me is like, get out of here with this noise. Like, I, if that's the if that's all you can say, just keep it to, keep it to yourself, you know? I mean, it's it's a little bit of that. And when you hear this iterated a lot is freedom of speech is not freedom from consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you get to say a thing, uh, but you also get to be penalized for having said a really terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I I really don't like wishing ill on anybody, but I hope this ruins their company like I hope that whatever meager income they can cobble together from white nationalists who like tabletop role-playing games uh, is not enough to support anything they want to do, and they it just burns to the ground. My hope is that white nationalists pour a lot of money into saving this company just in time for them to get the pants sued off of them, and that Wizards turns around with all of that money and donates it to help marginalized groups around the U.S. That would be like my dream scenario. I don't think that's going to happen, but gosh, it'd be great if it did. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else on uh, this particular item that we need to go through? Well, we've got we've got a little bit of a transition for our next item, yes. which is yes, we do. Wizards for, looking at you for as <laughs> for as much as we've been talking about how good it is for wizards to be taking this sort of action against new TSR. Uh, wizards hasn't exactly been doing the best work themselves, keeping some of their old content from having problematic stuff in it. Yeah. We're talking about the Hadazi, y'all. Yeah, now this, like, uh, I, w- I would wager that more people are familiar with this because this happened and was kind of out there, like, very shortly after we went on our sort of, like, month month-long recording hiatus. So this has been out there for a while. But honestly, Wizards, what the hell is going on with this shit? What the hell is going on with this shit? How, how do you let this happen? Um, you know, basically, for anybody who doesn't know, um, you know, Spelljammer came out uh, recently and they uh, reintroduced the Hadazi, which is essentially a, a you know a monkey-like race, uh, player character race. And all of a sudden, I guess wizards realized there was some problematic content involved in there, and they removed it. So if uh, you get an, any further printings of Spelljammer, not going to have that stuff in there. Um, but Josh, you want to boil it down, like what the problematic stuff was there? I mean, basically, there was there was a couple of aspects of it that were pretty problematic. Thing number one is that the Hadazi are a race that, according to their original lore, which I believe is, as we speak, being rewritten, mm-hmm. uh, they were magically enhanced soldiers that rose up and killed the wizard that created them. Yeah, they were kidnapped uh, and experimented on. Yeah, and it, like... Uh, they're they're referred to as things like deck apes, and it's like the the line between actual things that happened to actual African Americans in our world and yeah. what is happening to this fictional race of uh, spacefaring peoples. Uh, it's a little it's a little too close for comfort, there, wizards. Yeah, there's and, some there's some really solid parallels to like the Tuskegee experiment. Ugh, and it's. The real problem here is that wizards dipped into their old, old content Mm -hmm. 
They didn't have anyone review it properly, clearly. Yeah. And they published it. And it's like, come on, man. Like, how is this still happening? And I said, at one point, I said to you, Brandon, I was like, there is a part of me that feels like Wizards making a mistake this stupid and this easy to correct before it reaches the public Mm -hmm. almost feels like they're doing a bit of the, oh, you know, you remember how problematic our history was, but we're fixing it. We're out here fixing it. We sure are sorry about our problematic history, though. Mm -hmm. You know, we're fixing it, though. Like Like they want that pat on the back for doing the work that they just should have done in the first place. Because here's the thing, somebody would have, if they'd re-released the Hadazi with a less problematic backstory, somebody would have noticed. They would have been like, this has been rewritten. Josh, let me tell you something that's going to make your head explode. Um, Right. So, you know, according, according to the lore, the Hadazi were kidnapped and experimented on by a wizard with the express intent to um, sell them as magically enhanced soldiers. They later rose uh-huh. up and killed the wizard. Uh, notable, like I'm, I'm reading this from uh, a Gizmodo article, uh, cause I actually didn't know this because I never played, um, I, I never played, uh, any sort of like non core rules races when I was playing second edition D and D back in the nineties. But it says notably the Hadazi were first introduced in 1982 during the second edition days of D and D. And none of this new lore was part of their backstory then. What the hell then? <laughs> It was all new. It was all new problematic stuff. Did they hire Dave, the the dude from the... Um, <laughs> you almost named him. The, did they hire the Star Frontiers guy to do yeah. this one for them? Like, what? what? Come on. Yeah. It says, uh, and, and again, I'm reading from the Gizmodo article because we're not journalists. We just collect things and talk uh. about them. Um, the backlash to this was swift, and Wizards of the Coast deleted the lore from all digital versions of Spelljammer. They also released a public apology, which I'll read in a second, um, saying that not all had Hadazi-related content was properly vetted before release. Well, no shit. Future physical editions won't feature the new Hadazi lore, and a thorough internal review is being done, which will see the company take necessary actions once it's completed. Now, one thing people have noted is that the Hadazi section did not have uh, a credit for any kind of sensitivity reader or anything. Gee, I wonder how that. Uh. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, we all know the 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 unfortunate history that D&D has with uh, a lot of uh, racist stuff, whether they were doing it intentionally or unintentionally uh, and just were sort of caught up in the culture of the time. It doesn't matter. It's not an excuse. Um, but, for example, like the the Vistani in Curse of Strahd. Um, this is one that everybody knows. They were uh, a, ho- a horrible stereotype of Ro- of Roma people, uh, and everybody knew it was bad. Everybody knew it was bad, and for thirty years they didn't do anything about it until twenty twenty, when ra- like racial equality and representation became a much bigger conversation uh, nationally again. And then they're like, "Oh, let's well, uh, you know, we really we took a hard look at this." And decided to go back and change that and eliminate that from any future printings of Strahd. And I mean, that's just bullshit. They they knew it was a problem. They they waited until it became advantageous to them from a publicity standpoint to make a change. They were they were forced into a corner on it. I just how do you keep uh Yeah. And this is what sensitivity readers are for. This is why you're paying sensitivity readers. Mm-hmm. And you're Oh my God. Like, how could you, 
Well, in this case, this is why you should pay sensitivity readers. Yes. Not, well, not why you are paying them. And, no, I, and the, that's and, what I'm saying. It's like they and, are paying sensitivity readers. Why didn't they have them read this content? Because any just, sensitivity reader would have we, been like, why? We just got done having this conversation about like races in D&D. And what did that mean? And no, maybe not all dark elves are evil now. You know, like there has to be more nuance and more of like a real, like less homogenous culture because everybody's different and we have to acknowledge that. We just talked about like that was just the thing. That was the conversation a few months ago as they were getting ready to do all this stuff for one D&D. That's just insane to me that they dropped the ball like this. I can't believe it because it's such a dereliction of their like... I mean, it's just it's a dereliction of good practice and a dereliction of the responsibility they've taken on themselves to clean up a lot of this stuff. Like you can't expect it all to get done in just one fell swoop. But you would think with as much attention that was on Spelljammer and as much work in the years that they put into getting ready to re-release that, not once did anybody raise any kind of question about the race of of monkey humanoids that were enslaved and rose up to kill their captors? Are you kidding me? It just... I... This feels like the sort of thing that they should be beyond at this point. That they should D&D beyond. Yeah. Yeah, I want to... Go ahead. going, Going back and doing these sorts of things, it's like, have you learned? Have you really learned? Because it's starting to feel like you haven't. Yeah, I'm going to read the full text of their uh, public apology. Uh, And this is dated September 2nd. Like I said, this happened a while ago, but we're playing a little bit of catch up. And, you know, maybe some people know about it. Maybe some people don't. Uh, It starts. We wanted to acknowledge and own the inclusion of offensive material with our recent Spelljammers Adventures in Space content. We failed you, our players and our fans, and we are truly sorry. The campaign includes a people called the Hadazi, which first appeared in 1982. Regrettably, not all portions of the content relating to the Hadazi were properly vetted before appearing in our most recent release. As we continue to learn and grow through every situation, we recognize that to live our, live our values, we have to do better. Throughout the 50-year history of Dungeons & Dragons, some of the characters in the game have been monstrous and evil, using descriptions that are painfully reminiscent of how real-world groups have, be- have been and continue to be denigrated. We understand the urgency of changing how we work to better ensure a more inclusive game. Effective immediately, we will remove the offensive content about Hadazi in our digital versions, and these will no longer be included in future reprints of the book. Our priority is to make things right when we make mistakes. In addition, we've initiated a thorough internal review of the situation and will take all the necessary actions as a result of that review. We are eternally grateful for the ongoing dialogue with the D&D community, and we look forward to introducing new, engaging, and inclusive content to D&D for generations to come. D&D teaches that diversity is strength, for only a diverse group of adventurers can overcome the many challenges a D&D story presents. In that spirit, we are committed to making D&D as welcome and inclusive as possible. This part of our work will never end. Now, I will say, I give them credit for just coming out, owning it, and not making too much of an excuse um you know they they made the excuse but at least they're like hey you know we owned it it doesn't excuse anything like this never should have happened any responsible like i mean for for god's sake they make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars a year you can't you can't let this kind of thing happen 
You just can't. I, uh, incompetence is the only answer here. You know, and I, yeah. and I, I don't, like, I hate to, th- I hate to throw that kind of shade, but that's the only, that's the only reasonable response. There's either incompetence or malice. And I don't believe it was malice. Those are the only two options, I think. Listen, well, isn't, isn't there a whole phrase about blame not on in, on malice? What can be more easily explained by incompetence? Maybe. <laughs> I, I think I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but I think that is a phrase that is fairly common. I have never heard it, but I agree with it. Um, <laughs> like, uh, like a bunch of idiots is the only way this happens. And, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't like calling people idiots, but that's clearly what this is. Like... We just had this conversation. We just had it. Come on. You all made well, such a big deal about sensitivity readers and DEI and all this stuff. Come on. And like, you're the 10,000 pound gorilla in the room. Like, do do the work. Do you're the work. Setting, Make sure. You have to set the example. You're the industry leader. Yeah, Exactly. You have to be the paragon that everyone looks up to because you are the one leading everything. Yeah. And it's just, it shocks me. And like, I'll give, I'll give a little bit of a behind the curtain uh, parallel to my life for some of this. But, um, you know, I work professionally as an editor and uh, I've been in situations where I've been editing stuff and I'll catch something in it. Um, and it'll make me take a pause for a second and I have to go back, do a little research and realize that there's actually like a racial sensitivity issue there. Um, but the only reason I noticed it is because just like a weird collection of experiences that I've had in my life that allow me to know that like this is maybe a signal of something that I need to go look at. And for a lot of editors, especially folks with less experience, um, those triggers aren't going to fire in in your brain. And you're going to read something as innocuous that it really isn't. Um, a, A good example of this that I actually just remembered, this was sort of a legendary classified ad um, that ran many, many, many decades ago in uh, a newspaper. And I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember it exactly. But basically somebody... Somebody published a classified ad that said like McKinley, um, Lincoln, or like Lincoln, McKinley, Kennedy, whatever. It was all the presidents who'd been assassinated. And uh, they, uh, I, I think this was before, this was either after, I think this might've been after Hinckley shot Reagan, but Reagan survived. And uh, somebody, um, pu- like somebody bought this classified ad. Uh, it got published in the paper the next day when, and it's very clearly a threat on the president's life. Um, and the publisher had to, and th- I, I feel like this was in the eighties. I can, you know, if anybody else out there knows the answer, correct me, but I'm just sort of half remembering the story, but I know it's accurate. And the publisher had to like put out a letter the next day. That's like, Oh my God. Uh, we d- like, I'm sorry. Like we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have done this. And he three totally threw the classified, uh, person under the bus is like the person who answered the phone and took the ad did not understand the significance of the names grouped together and what it meant. Um, so that kind of thing happens when you have, and I'm not even going to call a person stupid, but you just have somebody who's not culturally aware who's doing that kind of work. It can happen. 
And that's not an excuse because you need like, especially in Wizards case, because they've specifically talked about hiring people for their cultural awareness for this kind of editing, because sensitivity reading and sensitivity editing are, are they're a specialized, they're a specialized thing in editing, right? So that's not an excuse for them. And I'm just relating my experience because like even I've seen that stuff happen in the relatively innocuous content that I'm editing for a living. You know, it can come up anywhere because in a country with centuries upon centuries of, of uh, racial injustices and inequalities, like it's woven into the fabric of society. It's everywhere. You, you, you can't, you can't, look too far from yourself without seeing it, seeing its effects or seeing something that's going to cause some effects from it. Um, you just, you have to be so critical. I always, I always tell my folks, my team, like you have to edit critically. You can't just sit there and be hung up on commas and periods and semicolons and passive voice versus active voice. You have to, actively be critical of what you're reading and understand what it means or what it could mean to another person. And it's really difficult, especially if somebody with less experience is reading it. If I had to put money on it, I would say that the editing team with Wizards that handled the how does he stuff? Because you have to think that so many of these things are broken up into chunks. There's probably a team dealing with like a couple of particular races, dealing with all writing and editing all the lore of it. Some are dealing with other stuff. Some are writing quest lines, things like that. I would bet you anything that the team that was reading the how does he stuff probably in their mid to late 20s, maybe early 30s. Um, I'm going to generalize. I'm going to generalize. I'm thinking because they're in their mid to late 20s, perhaps early 30s and working for Wizards, they probably have come from maybe not a privileged background, but a pretty well off background. So they probably aren't as aware of these kind of things that you need to be thinking about when you're doing work like this. They probably aren't critical editors. They're probably like proofreaders they're probably copy editors they're not doing real critical upfront like content editing uh and i think it's probably just because they lacked the experience for that and wizards and if that's the case wizards dropped the ball by not having some sort of senior editorial approval process on there i'm just speculating but just based on my couple of decades of the business that's probably what happened because i see it now that i'm older now that now that i'm like a senior editor essentially I see it. I see things now in folks in their 20s who work for me that I, I look at them and I see myself 20 years ago with the stuff that I didn't know and the stuff that I wasn't aware of and I wasn't drawing lines between things. So it's very common. And I would almost bet anything that that's what happened here. Even so, the solution is simple. Use your diversity readers because yeah. that's what they're there for. Yeah, like even if what I said is absolutely true and what happened, like your final check should be that that editor. That editor should have they should be involved throughout the process looking at drafts before things get too far down a, a road that you don't want it to get down. But then they should also have like right along with the creative director, they should have a final sign off on this stuff cuz it's going to yep. save you from getting yourself in trouble. Yep. 
So I'm just, it just, <sighs> I, I'm flabbergasted by the whole thing. I just, I cannot believe this happened. It is so disappointing. Yep. So And it just, it's, it's the sort of thing where it's like, how many more mistakes are you going to make before you really understand the importance of what you're doing as an organization? Yeah. Or if you understand the importance of what you're doing as an organization, how are things like this still slipping through the cracks? Yeah, it's amazing. Jeremy Crawford, if you want to come on the Goblins and Growlers podcast and talk to <laughs> us about that, we're happy to have you. And we'll send you some free G&G swag if you want. Yeah. yeah, tell us about the process. Tell us about how this occurred. Yeah, we would love to know. We'd love to know. Like I said, I've got a lot of experience in publications and editing, uh, so I can talk shop about it, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyways, that was those were our four news updates for the day. So now we're fully caught up with everything that happened while we were taking a little bit of a break there. Um, and I got and I got a lot of opinions out. So I'm going to sleep a little bit easier tonight because they're not all welling up in my brain, ready to fire out like a laser. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't I think know about you. I think having expressed as much anger as I just did, uh, I I feel a little bit calmer as a person, you know, like. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I've let I've let something go. Yeah, I feel, in fact, calm enough to um, telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins and Growlers podcast <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let them know what a great program we've got here. Uh, I, I I also feel calm enough to maybe follow you at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. Oh, I feel calm enough to follow you at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. And I think to relax, I'm going to go listen to our sister podcast, Quid Pro Roll, a, an actual play, uh, 5th edition D&D adventure in which I play an over-the-hill uh, pro wrestler who's a triple multiclasser named Charles Gravyboat Barnes. Uh, yeah, as I understand it, that's the only actual play podcast uh, that has a is completely created by a cast of all professional DMs. Correct. Correct. And we just happen to be some of those professional DMs. Hell yeah. Um, what else? Oh, uh, for our Halloween content. I know if you listen to a couple episodes back, you're probably wondering why this episode we're not doing um, the Satanic Panic. It's because we decided that we wanted to read some books ahead of that so we gave ourselves a little bit of extra time so what we're going to do is sandwich our two satanic panic episodes around halloween so you get this this nice all hallows meat in between two content pieces of bread so we're going <laughs> to have the satanic panic discussion that's going to come out uh two weeks from today and then two weeks after that we'll have our review of the tom hanks tv movie classic mazes and monsters <laughs> Uh, a, a classic that I hear is going to make me really mad. Uh, I don't know anything about it other than it's just bad and dumb and what you would expect from a 1982 television movie starring, uh, my, starring a young Tom Hanks. My hope is that it's bad and dumb in the same way that Dark Dungeons is bad and dumb, which is a film that is made almost shot for shot based on a chick track about Dungeons and Dragons. That's which next, I, next Halloween. I'll be excited. I'll be excited to talk about uh, Chick Tracks in our Satanic Panic episode. Yeah, we should do just a whole thing on Dark Dungeons and Chick Tracks next year. <laughs> but uh, yes, get yeah. deep. I think the difference there is Dark Dungeons was made tongue in cheek 
about something that was made sincerely. And I believe Mazes and Monsters was made uh, sincerely as well, because it was in the 80s and you're not getting some satirical movie on uh, ABC straight to TV movie. But anyway, so that's that's coming up. Ne- that's coming up in the next uh, couple episode releases there. We're very excited about that. We've got our content plan sort of for the rest of the year. Uh, and then we'll get into some fun stuff in January. Also, just as a little bit of news, uh, Alex, the DM of uh, Quid Pro Roll and uh, Josh's comic book store owning fiance, uh, she and I are going to be trying out a, a new podcast that does not yet have a name, but it's going to be about public domain comic books from the 40s. So we're going to do some recording on that real soon and we'll have some we'll have some news on that if that's kind of your bag. I know it's not necessarily a 100% crossover to this kind of audience, but we just wanted to try something a little bit different. So uh, when that's ready to come out, we'll have we'll have some some news about that and we'll let you know where to get it. But I'm kind of excited about trying something a little bit different. I'm going to say uh, Alex has been talking to me about a couple of these characters, and I don't consider myself like big into comic books, mm-hmm. which I think I realize is weird given that, you know, I'm engaged to a comic book store owner, but I just I just haven't really followed comics that much. You know, mm-hmm. superhero culture in general, sure, but like comics, not as much. Some of the characters that Alex has told me about finding sound amazing like i think i would listen to this show even if i was like well i don't really like comics that much just because the characters are so off the wall goofy did she tell you about dr hormone uh no she was telling me about um what was it kitten not kitten man oh i know what you're talking about black kitten yeah she texted me about that earlier today (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, it should be it should be dumb and fun, and it's not going to be an hour and fifteen minutes long like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and also Noah, if you're listening to this, uh, sorry we didn't invite you on to talk about lawsuits, but we literally didn't think about it until we were getting ready to record. He'll forgive us. He always forgives us. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, so tell tell friends about the podcast. Uh, give us uh, give us some reviews on podcast platforms. Um, five star reviews are awesome. They help more people discover the podcast. And like I said, another way to help people discover the podcast is to tell them about it. Send them a link to it. Spam them with links for it. Um, uh, what else? What am I missing? Uh, I think the only things you haven't talked about are the discord, which you can come hang out and chat with us. Bit.ly slash goblin discord. And also the Patreon, patreon.com slash goblins growlers where we get a bunch of lovely, lovely folks to help us afford the equipment that we use to record all these really zany podcasts we do. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think uh, it's 1030. I think it's I think it's time to sign off because I'm very tired and I'm I was going to I'm out of coffee. <laughs> I was going to say out of the recording studio and into bed. That's where we're headed, but not together. <laughs> I mean, tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye, y'all! If you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you.